Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fantasize Me, the podcast where I take characters real or imagined, and I fantasize them as D&D characters. I'm your host, Zach Katz, and today we are going to be turning Florence Nightingale into a D&D character. Now, I know what you're thinking, who's Florence Nightingale? I'm gonna tell you who Florence Nightingale was, okay? She was born on May 12th, 1820 in Florence, Italy. She was the younger of two children, and she was born to an affluent British family. They belonged to the elite social circles. And her mother hailed from a family of merchants and really enjoyed kind of climbing the social ladder. She really liked socializing with people of prominent social standing. But Florence herself was reportedly awkward in social situations. She didn't like being the center of attention. She was very strong-willed and just didn't like the schmoozing, for lack of a better term. Florence's father provided her with a classical education, including studies in German, French, and Italian. From a very young age, Florence was active in philanthropy. She would minister to the ill and poor people in the village neighboring her family's estate, and her parents were not happy about that because it was viewed as beneath her. And when she was 16 years old, Florence knew that nursing was her calling. She believed it to be her divine purpose. She's like, okay, this is what I'm here to do. I'm supposed to help the sick. And when Florence told her parents, she's like, mom, dad, I'm gonna be a nurse. They're like, no, 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 absolutely not. They actually forbade her to pursue nursing. They're like, you cannot do this. It's illegal. And she's like, "Mm, is it? Because a young lady of her social status, pretty much all she was expected to do in life was to marry a man of means, pop out some babies and not embarrass him. Like, that's it. That was that was what her life was supposed to be, which is so gross. And nursing was viewed as lowly, menial labor. And people from upper social classes did not do lowly, menial labor. They paid someone to do it. And when Florence was 17, she actually refused a marriage proposal from someone that society viewed as suitable for her. Richard Monckton Milnes. And Nightingale didn't just say no, she explained why she turned him down. And she's like, you stimulate me intellectually, romantically, but my moral active nature requires satisfaction, and that would not find it in this life. And she's like, wow, thank you so much for that marriage proposal. It's actually a no, though, because you just aren't enough for me. Sorry, so sorry. Thank you, though. I am keeping the ring. I mean, I don't know if she kept the ring or not, but it's fun for me to think so. So despite her parents' objections in 1844, Florence enrolled as a nursing student at the Lutheran Hospital of Pastor Fleidner in Kaiserwerth, Germany. And in the early 1850s, Florence returned to London, where she took a nursing job at a Middlesex hospital for ailing governesses. And she was just so good at nursing, just so attentive and competent, that her employer was like, you need to be promoted, like, immediately. So she was promoted to the superintendent within just a year of being hired. And the position proved especially challenging because Florence had to fight with a cholera outbreak in very unsanitary conditions that were extremely conducive to the rapid spread of the disease. You know, we're living through a pandemic, so I think everyone understands how important sanitation and cleanliness are to stopping the spread, right? But back then, people didn't 
put too much stock in sanitation. But Florence was like, no, 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 it is going to be my mission to improve hygiene practices, which significantly lowered the death rate at the hospital in the process. And all of this hard work took a bit of a toll on her health, and she like just barely recovered when the Crimean War broke out in October of 1853. The British Empire was at war against the Russian Empire for control of the Ottoman Empire. Thousands of British soldiers were sent to the Black Sea, supplies quickly dwindled, and by 1854, around 18,000 soldiers had been admitted into military hospitals. 18,000. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of men. And at the time, there were no female nurses stationed at hospitals in Crimea. The poor reputation of past female nurses had led the war office to avoid hiring more female nurses. But there was this big battle, and a lot of the soldiers were dying from illness and dying from injuries. So England is like, okay, our hospitals are horribly understaffed and also unsanitary and present all these inhumane conditions. So Florence received a letter from Secretary of War Sidney Herbert asking her to organize a corps of nurses to tend to the sick and fallen soldiers in the Crimea. So Nightingale is like, absolutely, this is my shit, this is my purpose, God said so. So she assembled a team of nurses from a variety of like religious orders and backgrounds and sailed with them to the Crimea just a few days later. And they arrived at the British base hospital in Constantinople and were just appalled at what was waiting for them. Like they had been warned about the really bad conditions, but the hospital sat on top of a large cesspool. It contaminated the water and the hospital building itself. Patients were laying in their own excrement on stretchers strewn throughout the hallways. There were rodents, there were bugs just running amok. And the most basic supplies, such as bandages and soap, were really scarce. Even water needed to be rationed. More soldiers were actually dying from infectious diseases like typhoid and cholera than from injuries incurred in battle. So Florence is like, well, this simply won't do. And she procured a bunch of scrub brushes, hundreds of scrub brushes, and asked the least injured patients to scrub the hospital from floor to ceiling. And she herself spent all of her time just caring for the soldiers. In the evening, she moved through the dark hallways, carrying a lamp while making her rounds, ministering to patient after patient. The soldiers who were both moved and comforted by her endless supply of compassion took to calling her the Lady with the Lamp. Others simply called her the Angel of Crimea, and her work reduced the hospital death rate by two-thirds. <laughs> She's just like, their injuries aren't that bad, it's just that they're lying in shit, why hasn't anyone cleaned anything? And that's that's mostly what it took, and in addition to vastly improving the sanitary conditions of the hospital, she created a number of patient services that contributed to improving the quality of the patient's hospital stay. She instituted the creation of a kitchen where food for patients with special dietary requirements would be cooked. She established a laundry so that patients would actually have clean linens. She even instituted a classroom and a library for patients so that they would be stimulated intellectually and entertained. And based on her observations in Crimea, Florence wrote notes on matters affecting the health, efficiency, and hospital administration of the British Army, which was an 830-page report 
analyzing her experience and proposing reforms for other military hospitals operating under poor conditions. And her book, this massive multiple hundred page report, would spark a total restructuring of the War Office's administrative department, including the establishment of a Royal Commission for the Health of the Army in 1857. Florence returned to her childhood home once the Crimean conflict was resolved, and to her surprise, she was met with a hero's welcome, which we know she did not like being the center of attention, so she did her best to avoid. The queen herself rewarded Florence's work by presenting her with an engraved brooch that came to be known as the Nightingale Jewel, and by granting her a prize of $250,000 from the British government. Florence was also a statistician, and with Queen Victoria's help, she employed leading statisticians of the day, William Farr and John Sutherland, to analyze army mortality data, and they found that 16,000 of the 18,000 deaths, okay, 16,000 out of 18,000, were from preventable diseases and not actually battle. This information was uh, horrifying, but Florence translated the data into a new visual format that really caused a sensation, and it was this polar area diagram now known as a Nightingale Rose diagram, and it showed how the Sanitary Commission's work decreased the death rate, and she made the complicated data accessible to all, which inspired new standards for sanitation in the army and beyond, and she became the first female member of the Royal Statistical Society and was named an honorary member of the American Statistical Association she was such a cool woman. She's like, people are dying from sickness, not battle. Gotta put a stop to that. People don't know that this is how they're dying. Gotta make a new visual format to show the statistics that that is actually happening. The queen and I are pretty much best friends. No big deal. She funded the establishment of St. Thomas's Hospital and within it, the Nightingale Training School for Nurses. She was a figure of public admiration. There were poems, songs, plays written and dedicated in her honor, young women aspired to be like her. Even women from the wealthy upper classes started enrolling at her training school. And thanks to Florence, nursing was no longer frowned upon. It was not seen as menial labor. It had come to be viewed as now an honorable vocation because she made it look good. To this day, Florence Nightingale is broadly acknowledged and revered as the pioneer of modern nursing. So if you've ever been sick, you've ever been to the doctor's office, a nurse has attended to you, you can thank Florence Nightingale. How sick is that, right? Okay, that is a lot of backstory, but she's such an interesting person, I couldn't help myself, all right? I didn't even use Wikipedia, I used history.com, and it, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the, the normal history channel that you see, which is alien conspiracy theories and pawn stars, I think, is on it or something. But like actual history from the History Network, which is what it used to be. Anyway, th the point of the podcast is we're going to now turn Florence Nightingale into a D&D &D character. So let us start with background. I think we are going to go with Noble because she was a woman of means, a woman of leisure, even though she didn't want any of that and gave it up as soon as she was able. 
but for a noble, she is going to have skill proficiencies in history and persuasion, tool proficiencies in one type of gaming set and one language of her choice. Let's see, one type of gaming set. What game do we think Florence Nightingale would have been really good at? Ooh, Operation. Okay, Florence Nightingale is proficient in the game Operation, of course. I don't think she was performing any surgeries, but I think she'd be great at it, right? Language of her choice, we'll pick that after we have her race so we know what language she's lacking. So let's just do that now. Let's pick her race. She was called the Angel of Crimea, so I think I'm going to make her an Asimar, which are kind of descended from Celestials. They have a touch of the divine in them. So I, I think that makes sense. As an Asimar, she's going to gain plus two to Charisma. She's going to have Dark Vision, which is fun. Celestial Resistance gives her resistance to necrotic damage and radiant damage, which is such a cool thing to start with because, like, most things don't have resistance to either. And she's like, yeah, sweetie, heaven and hell can't touch me. She also has an ability Healing Hands. So as an action, she can touch a creature and cause it to regain a number of hit points equal to her level once per long rest. That's... That's cool. I'm I'm always down for some free healing, like the Paladin's Lay on Hands ability. So she can just touch someone and have them regain some hit points. With the Light Bearer ability, she knows the Light Cantrip. And I really like that because she was known as the Lady with the Lamp. So she was known as having a light. Languages, she can speak, read, and write common and celestial. So that is pretty good, common and celestial. She gets another language from being a noble. Let's just do common, celestial, and infernal. Get the best of both worlds there. And then she can pick a subrace. And I think we are going to go with Protector Asimar because that's kind of what she was. She was a protector. She kept people alive. If that's not what protectors do, then I don't know what's going on, right? So this will increase her wisdom by one and she will get the ability Radiant Soul. So starting at third level, she can use her action to unleash the divine energy within herself, causing her eyes to glimmer and two luminous incorporeal wings to sprout from her back. Her transformation is going to last for a minute, and during it, she's going to have a flying speed of 30 feet. And once on each of her turns, she can deal extra radiant damage to one target when she deals damage to it with an attacker's spell. And that extra radiant damage is going to equal her level. Once she uses this trait, Radiant Soul, she can't use it again until she finishes a long rest. But that's awesome, because that just starts at third level. She's going to be able to just, like, fly. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Okay, beautiful. We have Background Noble. We have Race, a Protector Asimar. Now we can roll for her stats. And that's when you take a D6, a six-sided die, roll it four times, drop the lowest number, and add up the remaining three to get one of the six ability scores. So we're going to do that six times. So I rolled for her stats, and they're really bad. They're, they're pretty bad. Okay, I don't know why I'm saying that. Probably to lessen the blow to myself. You know what I mean? Um, okay, she got 8, 12, 10, 13, 12, 13. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. They are literally not as bad as they could be. So there's a fact about her stats. 
Um, okay, well, okay. Let's put them where we think they should go now. So the highest number is 13. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Okay, highest number is 13. I'm going to put that into Wisdom. She gets a plus one to Wisdom for being a Protector Asimar. So that's bumped up to 14, which is a plus two modifier. For those who don't know, 10 is average. Like the average person will have a 10 in any one of these ability scores. Having a 14 as your highest is really bad. That means you're like, yeah, you're you're a bit above average in that. <laughs> That's terrible. Next is 13. I'm going to put that into intelligence because she was a statistician as well. 13 intelligence. That's a plus one modifier. Next, we have a 12. I'm going to put that into Constitution, which is a plus one modifier, because Constitution helps to determine your hit points. So you want to have at least a plus one in there if you can manage it. Um, Let's see. And then she has another 12. I'm going to put that 12 into Dexterity, right? Or should I put it into Charisma? I don't think she was very charismatic. I just think people really liked her because she was competent, but she didn't really go for socializing or going for the things where she had to use her charisma. Her her kind of intelligence spoke for her in a way. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if it does or not, because it makes sense to me, and that's all that matters, <laughs> right? Okay, 12 dexterity, so that's a plus one modifier. And then I think I'm going to put the 10 into charisma, which gets a plus two from her being an Asimar. So that's also a 12 charisma, which is a, another plus one, which leaves eight strength. Eight strength, that is below average, so there is a negative one there. So her starting stats are eight strength, 12 dexterity, 12 constitution, 13 intelligence, 14 wisdom, and 12 charisma. Those stats are so, those are like really weak NPC stats. You know, that's, those are the stats of like a first level healer at a local infirmary, you know? <laughs> Those aren't the stats of a hero. That's fine. We'll improve it as we go. Yeah, we'll improve it as we go. Now let's pick her class. I think we all know what she is going to start in. She's going to start in Paladin. Okay, so Paladin. I I really like the Paladin base class, but I don't like any of the Paladin subclasses. Like, there's no Paladin subclass where I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. They're all like, meh. But we're going to do paladin anyway cuz paladins are traditionally like holy warriors they fight for good and justice and righteousness and i think she did that she fought on behalf of the soldiers who were dying from very unsafe unsanitary conditions and she she didn't fight in the D&D sense of the word but I think it just makes sense for her to be a paladin and to be able to have some abilities to just help those around her kind of passively. And we'll get to that. But she's going to have proficiencies in light armor, medium armor, heavy armor, and shields with simple weapons and martial weapons. So now I'm picturing Florence Nightingale just walking around attending to people fully clad in like plate mail and wielding a massive tower shield. <laughs> that's that's just that's funny she's going to be proficient in wisdom and charisma saving throws probably two of the least useful saving throws to be proficient in but there you go and she's going to be proficient in two skills from athletics 
insight, intimidation, medicine, persuasion, and religion. She's already proficient in persuasion from being a noble, so we've gotta go medicine. Obviously, she's a nurse. So proficiency bonus at first level is plus two. She has plus two to wisdom, so her medicine is plus four. That's <laughs> so bad. That's so funny. Uh, and also insight. So insight is also going to be a plus four. I just think insight makes sense because it must help if you're more in tuned to their emotional state. That's That's gotta help with nursing. As a first level paladin, she gains divine sense. So as an action, she can open up her awareness to detect powerful good or strong evil. Until the end of her next turn, she's going to know the location of any celestial, fiend, or undead within 60 feet of her that's not behind total cover. Within that same radius, she'll also detect the presence of any place or object that has been consecrated or desecrated. And she can use this feature a number of times equal to one plus her charisma modifier, per long rest. So her charisma modifier is plus one, so she can use this twice, which isn't a great amount of times, but I I have a paladin and he doesn't like ever use define sense because it's not it's not especially useful. But she can use it. That's something. Another ability she gets as a first level paladin is called Lay on Hands. So she has a pool of healing power within her. And that pool is going to replenish every long rest. But with that pool, she can restore a total number of hit points equal to her paladin level times five as an action. So she can just touch someone and heal them five hit points because she's a first level paladin. So obviously one times five is five. But I think that's cool because as a protector Asimar, she has a similar ability where she can heal someone's hit points equal to her level. So now she has two ways to essentially get free healing because it's not going to take a spell slot like cure wounds. It's not going to use a potion or anything. But with lay on hands, she can expend five hit points from her pool to cure the target of one disease or neutralize one poison affecting it. I like that because a lot of her work was with making disease transference harder and infection harder to spread. So it makes sense to me that she has the ability to cure that or pour some magic into it. Let's go second level in Paladin, which will give her access to spellcasting. So now, haha, she's magic. She has some Paladin spells, and what I like about paladins because they're they're typically fighters they you know tend to put their points into strength and constitution and it's my thinking that you really only need two stats to be good and the rest can be bad and you'll still be fine so for paladin usually it's like strength and constitution but charisma is their spellcasting ability so their charisma should be kind of high because they need that for their spellcasting but paladins have a bunch of spells that don't even use their spellcasting modifier. They don't need a high charisma to damage someone with smites. They don't need a high charisma to cure someone. Sure, they're not going to be healing as much as if their charisma was high. But still, I think that's, uh, I think that's fun. So as I said, their spellcasting ability is charisma. So if they cast a spell that causes a creature to make a saving throw, that spell save DC is going to be 8 plus her proficiency bonus, plus her charisma modifier. Proficiency bonus is still plus two, charisma is plus one. So that's just a spell save DC of 11, which is very bad. And her spell attack modifier is just going to be plus three. Hey, look at that. Also very bad. So I don't think she's going to be preparing any spells that use her modifier because it's terrible. 
but that's okay. She doesn't need it. Second level is pretty big for Paladins. She's also going to gain Divine Smite. So now when she hits a creature with a melee weapon attack, she can expend one spell slot to deal 2d8 radiant damage to the target. And that's for a first level spell slot. Every spell slot higher than first level will be plus an additional 1d8 radiant damage to a maximum of 5d8. And the damage is going to increase by 1d8 if the target is an undead or a fiend to a maximum of 6d8. So that's pretty cool. If, you know, Florence Nightingale is ever fighting zombies, she can just sheath her sword in a radiant light and mow them down, as Florence Nightingale is wont to do. She's also going to get a fighting style. So she can just adopt a particular style of fighting as her specialty. I think she's going to choose defense, because it's, it's kind of a boring ability. It's just while she's wearing armor, she gains a plus one bonus to her armor class. But I've, I've been a DM for, you know, over two and a half years now. And it's really important that the healer does not go down. So I think her having a high armor class, so she's less likely to be hit is very important. So if she does have that heavy armor, if she is wearing a shield, if she does have this defensibility, she's going to have an armor class of 19 which is very good. There are so many classes that will never get to a 19 armor class, even at 20th level. And she's she has that at second level. That's so cool. I think we are going to go th yeah, third level in Paladin. So she's going to get Divine Health. So now she's immune to disease. That's so fitting for someone who fought against disease. How cool would that be, right? Also at third level, she's going to gain her Sacred Oath, which is the Paladin subclass. As I said before, I don't like any of the Paladin subclasses. None of them really do it for me. So I guess I'm just gonna, just gonna pick one. How about, um, let's see. Oath of Devotion sounds fitting. Oath of the Crown might also sound fitting. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna do Oath of the Crown. Oath of Devotion kind of sounds like it might be more fitting, perhaps, but I, I think Oath of the Crown has an ability that we might get to that is, is more fitting. <sighs> Whatever, we'll see. So as a Oath of the Crown Paladin, she gets access to some spells that are just always prepared. Paladins can pick and choose their spells to prepare. Now she has some that are always there. So she gets the Command and Compelled Dual Spells. Once she gets to 5th level, she'll have Warding Bond and Zone of Truth. I don't think we're going to go any higher than that. Even if we decide to go to 5th level, we might not. But anyway, because of their subclass, they gain Channel Divinity, which they can use once per short or long rest, and they get two options. There's Champion Challenge, which doesn't really sound right, but as a bonus action, she can issue a challenge that compels others to do battle with her. And each creature of her choice that she can see within 30 feet of her has to make a wisdom saving throw. And on a failed save, they can't willingly move more than 30 feet away from her. That's so useless. But then she gets the channel divinity option, Turn the Tide, which is much better, much more accurate to Florence Nightingale. So as a bonus action, each creature of her choice that can hear her within 30 feet of her is going to heal 1d6 plus her charisma modifier if it has no more than half of its hit points. So her charisma modifier is plus one. So if 
there are just like a bunch of allies within 30 feet of her below half health, she can automatically heal them 1d6 plus 1. That's pretty cool. She can just heal a group of people all at once. It's not a lot of hit points that she's healing for, but again, I will never say no to what is essentially free healing, right? I think we're going to do fourth level in Paladin so that she can get an ability score improvement. I, I want to multi-class, but I'm going to hold off one level so that she can get this ability score improvement because her ability scores are terrible. So she can increase one ability score of her choice by two or two ability scores of her choice by one. Let's increase wisdom by two. So wisdom's jumping up from a 14 to a 16, which is a plus three modifier. Okay, look at that. That's nice. Now for fifth level, we are going to multi-class and now we are going to go into cleric. Cleric is a great class, both cleric and paladin. They're just really good at, they, they can kind of do it all. They can be support characters. They can be tanks. They can be built for damage. And I really like classes with versatility. So clerics are also spellcasters. They are full casters. So paladins are just half casters, so they don't have access to as many spells or as many spell slots as full casters. Clerics are full casters, so they get the full spectrum of spell slots. She's going to know three cantrips of her choice from the cleric spell list, like Guidance is probably my favorite cantrip. It's so useful. And she already knows the Light cantrip from being an Asimar, so she can pick another two, like Spare the Dying, something like that. I don't know. But for her cleric spells, wisdom is going to be her spellcasting ability. So I hope now you know why I increased her wisdom rather than her charisma. It's because she's going to be using wisdom for her cleric stuff. So at fifth level, which she is now, her proficiency bonus goes up to plus three. So her spell save DC for her cleric spells is eight plus her proficiency bonus plus her wisdom modifier. So eight plus three plus three. That spell save DC is 14. And her spell attack modifier is going to be plus six. So definitely an improvement over her abysmal paladin spell casting, right? First level in cleric, she's going to get her divine domain, which is the cleric subclass. So she's already going to get that. And I'm thinking it's gotta be the life domain, right? So she's going to have some spells automatically stocked. Just like paladins, clerics can choose their spells, but she automatically has Bless and Cure Wounds prepared, Lesser Restoration and Spiritual Weapon, Beacon of Hope and Revivify, Death Ward, Guardian of Faith, Mass Cure Wounds, Raise Dead. So a lot of healing spells there and support spells. And when she chooses the Life Domain subclass at first level, she's going to gain proficiency with Heavy Armor, but she already has that. Remember, Florence Nightingale would casually walk around dressed in full plate mail, but she also gets the Disciple of Life ability, which is just such an awesome ability, and to get it as a first level cleric is so good. So whenever she uses a spell of first level or higher to restore hit points to a creature, the creature is going to regain additional hit points equal to 2 plus the spell's level. So even if she does a first level cure wounds, she's going to heal 1d8 plus her wisdom modifier, which is plus three, plus two, plus one for the spell's level. So it's 1d8 plus six. That's so good. She's just going to be healing at least an additional three hit points every time she uses a spell to heal. 
So awesome. Let's do 6th level, 2nd in Cleric. She is going to gain Channel Divinity. Just like a Paladin, she can use this once per short or long rest. The base Channel Divinity option that Clerics get is called Turn Undead, which undead within 30 feet of her have to make a Wisdom Saving Throw or be turned for one minute and try to just run away from her. So again, she's great at fighting zombies. Fortunately, she gets a much better Channel Divinity option from her Life Domain subclass called Preserve Life. So as an action, she can evoke healing energy that can restore a number of hit points equal to 5 times her Cleric level. She can choose any creatures within 30 feet of her and divide those hit points among them. This feature can restore a creature to no more than half of its hit point maximum. So, say you have a bunch of allies around you, you just have essentially 10 points of healing that you can split up among them as long as it doesn't take them above half of their hit points. That's so cool! And it's just going to gain an additional 5 hit points every level she takes in Cleric, so she can already do so much healing. She has her Asimar ability, which can now heal 6 hit points. She has Preserve Life. She has her Lay on Hands Paladin ability that can heal 20 hit points. From Disciple of Life, she'll heal extra hit points if she uses a spell slot. She has her Paladin Channel Divinity, Turn the Tides. She can just do so much healing. I love it. Let's keep going. Seventh level, that is third. Yeah, what? Yeah, okay. Let's do third in cleric. She's just going to gain access to second level cleric spells. Eighth level, fourth in cleric. That is another ability score improvement. I'm thinking we bump that wisdom again from a 16 to an 18, which is now a plus four modifier. So that's pretty good. That's that's a good ability score now to have. Ninth level, that is a fifth level cleric. Her turn undead channel divinity option gets a little stronger and it now has the ability destroy undead. So if a undead of challenge rating half or lower fails its saving throw against turn undead, they're just automatically destroyed. That's that's not especially useful unless you're in a campaign that uses a lot of undead like I do because I have a cleric who has this ability, so I just throw undead at him so he can feel really cool and use this ability, because I think it's nice to allow your players to use their cool abilities. Anyway, let's do... I think let's do 6th level in cleric, 10th overall, so she can now use channel divinity twice in between rests. And she gets another divine domain feature from the life domain called Blessed Healer. So now when she casts a spell of first level or higher that restores hit points to a creature other than her, she's also going to regain hit points equal to 2 plus the spell's level. That is such an awesome ability. I have a player who is a life cleric, and he like never goes down because when he heals others, he heals himself too. I love it. Good for him. He's he's such a good support character. So good. Now I think we are going to go back into Paladin for a 5th level Paladin. So this is 11th level. As a 5th level Paladin, she's going to gain extra attack. So it might not fit in with our idea of her, but now when she takes the attack action, she can attack twice instead of once. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Florence Nightingale in full armor with a long sword, just, you know, slashing people up. As, again, Florence Nightingale was wont to do. 
Let's do 6th level in Paladin, 12th overall. She's going to gain Aura of Protection, one of my favorite abilities. So whenever her or a friendly creature within 10 feet of her has to make a saving throw, the creature is going to gain a bonus to the saving throw equal to her Charisma modifier, which unfortunately is just plus 1, but her and all friendly creatures within 10 feet of her now gain a plus 1 to all saving throws. That's so cool! That's awesome. That's just, that's such an, that's such a great passive ability to have. Now let's hop back into Cleric for 13th level. This is now a 7th level Cleric. She's just going to gain access to 4th level Cleric spells. So her magic is increasingly potent at this point. 14th level, let's do 8th in Cleric. A lot of things happen at 8th level. She's going to get another ability score improvement. I say we've got to max out Wisdom, right? Because her spellcasting uses Wisdom for all of her Cleric spells, and she's got a lot of Cleric spells now. So 20 Wisdom, that is a plus 5 modifier. Also, her Destroy Undead gets a little stronger. So now it's when an Undead of Challenge Rating 1 or lower fails its saving throw against her turn Undead. They're instantly destroyed. Also at 8th level, she's also going to get something from her Life Domain Cleric subclass called Divine Strike. So once on each of her turns when she hits a creature with weapon attack, she can cause the attack to just deal an extra 1d8 radiant damage to the target. I know she's built for defense, but she might be able to just mess people up if she wanted to as well. I, I said she had a longsword. I don't know why she would have a longsword, because that uses her strength modifier, which is negative one. So, uh, what, she's 14th level, so she has a plus five proficiency bonus now. But she has minus one to strength, so she'll only have plus four to her attack roll. But if she does hit with everything, she can deal 2d8 damage from her longsword, plus 1d8 from Divine Strike, and if she uses Divine Smites on both of those attacks, that's an additional 4d8. So she can potentially do 7d8 damage on one turn. I mean, 7d8 damage minus 2 because of her terrible strength, but still, that's a lot of damage to do in one turn, especially for a character who's built for healing. Anyway, we're going to go 9th level in Cleric, that is 15th overall. She's going to get access to 5th level Cleric spells. 16th level, 10th in Cleric, she's going to gain Divine Intervention. So now she can pretty much just ask God for help. As an action, she can roll a percentile die, and if she rolls a number equal to or lower than her cleric level, God is just going to intervene. So the DM will choose the nature of the intervention. If her deity intervenes, she can't use this feature again for seven days. Otherwise, she can use it again after she finishes a long rest. So yeah, if she rolls a 10 or lower on her percentile die, she can just ask God for a favor. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty good. 11th level in Cleric, 17th overall. Her Destroy Undead will now destroy creatures of challenge rating 2 or lower if they fail their saving throw. 18th level, 12th in Cleric. That is going to be another ability score improvement. I think we are going to bump up her charisma from a 12 to a 14. And I'm doing that because I think that Aura of Protection is such a good ability. I want that to be a little higher. So now her and all allies within 10 feet of her get plus 2 to all of their saving throws. 
That's so cool. I love that, Florence. I really do. Now, let's see, she's 18th level. I actually think we're just going to take the last two levels in Paladin because she's not going to get too much for being a cleric. So let's go and become a 7th level Paladin. That is 19th overall. She is going to gain a Sacred Oath feature. So from the Oath of Crowns, she gains Divine Allegiance. And this is a really cool ability. So when a creature within five feet of her takes damage, she can just use her reaction to take the damage instead. So the creature who was going to be hurt is instead going to take no damage, and Florence will take all of the damage. The downside is the damage can't be reduced or prevented in any way. So say someone attacks an ally within five feet of her with radiant damage, she can use her reaction to take that damage, and even though she's resistant to radiant damage, she's still going to feel the full effect. But that's so cool! She's so good at healing, she has such a high armor class, she's got a ton of hit points, she can take a few hits, especially taking a few hits for her allies, that's classic Florence, probably. <laughs> Okay, last level, 20th level, she is going to go 8th in Paladin, which is going to give her an ability score improvement. For her final ability score improvement, I think we are going to give her a feat, which is like a special ability, which we could have chosen anytime she got an ability score improvement, but her ability scores were just so terrible, I had to increase them but she is still going to end with a feat, and that is just great. Now, the feat we have got to give her is called Medic, because that's what she is. She has mastered the physician's arts, so she gains the following benefits. Her wisdom score is going to increase by one. Now, hold on a moment, because we did max out wisdom, but I'm fine with her putting that plus one to something else. So she has 13 intelligence, so I'm going to put that plus one into intelligence, which will increase that to a 14, which is a plus two. And the reason why I did that is if I had a player who had a maxed out stat and they wanted to take a feat, I know that they would be less likely to take a feat if they thought they were missing out on that plus one improvement to an ability score. And I know if I was a player and my DM said, no, you can't add that to something else, you just lose it, I'd definitely be less likely to take a feat, even though I may feel that it's very fitting. I might not take it. So I would tell my player like, yeah, that's fine. You can just move things around a little. It's fine. It's the same number of increases to your scores. It doesn't matter. Anyway, long-winded way of saying that she's just going to put this plus one into intelligence instead, and she is going to gain proficiency in the medicine skill. Now I know what you're thinking, but Zach, she's already proficient in medicine, you silly goober. I know she is, but with the medic feat, she's going to gain expertise in it, which doubles her proficiency bonus. So, there. Beautiful. Um, also, the medic ability. So during a short rest, which is just an hour of downtime where you can rest and roll hit dice to regain hit points. She can clean and bind the wounds of up to six willing beasts and humanoids. 
She can make a DC 15 medicine check for each creature, and on a success, if a creature spends a hit die during this rest, that creature can just forego the roll and instead regain the maximum number of hit points the die can restore. A creature can do so only once per rest, regardless of how many hit dice it spends. So during a short rest, you have hit dice, different classes have different hit dice and it depends on your level, but essentially you can expend them and regain some hit points and they'll come back during a long rest. But what Florence Nightingale can do, she can just turn one of those rolls into a maximum number. So say one of your allies is a fighter and they're going to roll hit dice. If Florence succeeds on that DC 15 medicine check, the fighter can just expend one of the hit dice and automatically gain the max amount of hit points restored, which is 10. So boom, that's pretty cool. It's not super useful, but it definitely is apropos for Florence Nightingale. And we did it. That's it. That is Florence Nightingale. Oh, I love it. Okay. Florence Nightingale, the lady with the lamp. Her background is noble. Her race is Protector Asimar. She is a level 8 Oath of the Crown Paladin and a level 12 Life Domain Cleric. Her ending stats are 8 Strength, 12 Dexterity, 12 Constitution, 14 Intelligence, 20 Wisdom, and 14 Charisma. For skill proficiencies, she has plus 8 in History, plus 11 in Insight, plus 17 in Medicine, and plus 8 to Persuasion. Wow. Plus 17 to Medicine. Perfect for the mother of modern nursing. It's definitely much better than the plus four that she started with in medicine. Do you remember that? At first level, she had plus four to medicine, and now she has plus 17. Ugh, Florence Nightingale, take me away, you beautiful dame. For saving throws, she has plus 11 to wisdom saving throws and plus 8 to charisma saving throws. But remember, because of her aura of protection, she gets a plus 2 to all saving throws as long as she's conscious, which is so fun. Languages, she has common, celestial, and infernal. For tool proficiencies, she's proficient in the game operation, of course. And for feats, she just has the one, medic. So my idea of Florence Nightingale, she's working at a hospital, she's cleaning things, she's healing people with this incredibly powerful healing magic, and suddenly, who would attack but some zombies? Of course! Why wouldn't there be zombies attacking Florence Nightingale? It's the classic story of woman heals soldier, zombie attacks woman. Truly a classic. So she's just like surrounded by zombies and Florence in her classic London voice says, I don't think you want to do this. And then just uses destroy undead, just eviscerating a bunch of them. Her allies are fighting them off, but they're already injured and ill. They, they can't really do much. So Florence just strolls over to them with her lamp in hand, unsheaths her sword, and just starts laying into them, protection radiating off of her. A zombie goes to stab a soldier next to her. I don't know where he got a knife. Maybe he made it. And she just takes the damage 
challenge herself because she can withstand whatever they throw at her. And then she uses a healing spell. Maybe she uses like freaking mass cure wounds, which she automatically has prepared as a life domain cleric. And if she uses a fifth level spell slot for that, the target's going to regain 3d8 plus 5 plus 2 plus 5. So up to six creatures in a 30-foot radius sphere are going to regain 3d8 plus 12 hit points. And because of her Blessed Healer ability, she's also going to regain 2 plus 5 hit points. So she's also going to regain 7 hit points. Oh, she's so good at healing. I love that for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just not even breaking a sweat, just healing people. If they go down, she can just crush a diamond in her gauntleted fist and cast Revivify to bring them back to life. She doesn't care. If she runs out of diamonds, she knows that the queen will just send her more. And she's able to aid in the slaughtering of an entire horde of zombies. Oh, lady with the lamp, you're so cool. She is, she is like genuinely cool. I actually, I'm remembering now, I think I was in first grade and I was in an advanced reading group and we read about Florence Nightingale and then had to like write and perform a play essentially. And I was the guy who proposed to Florence Nightingale and she said no and slapped me. And we like staged the slap and it was very fun. And then I'm pretty sure I was also the voice of God, but I digress. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fantasize Me. Follow me on Twitter at FantasizeMePod. Please email in your character suggestions to fantasizemepod at gmail.com. They don't just have to be character suggestions. You can email me in uh, challenges you want. Like someone challenged me to not multi-class, to create someone that is just a single class. And I'm pretty sure I nailed it with a Pillsbury Doughboy. So take a listen to that episode if you haven't. To hear me talk about a sexy himbo Pillsbury Doughboy. On a more serious note, over at my Kofi, Kofi.com slash fantasize me. I am doing commissions where I can create custom NPC or monster or villain stat blocks for you, or even write up PCs for you, like I do here. I can turn someone into a uh into a player character for you to play as under my commissions. And the money from the commissions are going to go to the Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. And I have now teamed up with an artist, DMS Creations, who creates these awesome tokens, these awesome art tokens that you can use digitally, you can print them out, use them physically, whatever. And those will come free if you get a commission from me, a cool digital art rendering of whatever I have created for you. So please check that out. I've raised $20 so far and I've been doing it for like... (laughs) for what feels like a long time, probably just because I've been promoting it a lot. Uh, So check that out. Tell your friends that I'm doing it. If you are a DM and you don't want to prep and create a whole new monster or a big bad, pay me to do it. The money will go to Ukraine and you'll get some art to go along with it. Feel free to rate me five stars and follow and subscribe and do the things that I'm supposed to ask you to do at the end of this. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll do this again next week. Bye!